0: All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Now, I had announced, I think, that we're going to deal with Jacob. However, we're not. Because uh, the next verse, we're in verse 20, where Isaac blessed. We saw last week, Jacob and Esau. And so I said, now, we'll take the first one, Jacob blessed. But Jacob's in the next verse, too. And it says an interesting thing about him that when he got old and ready to die he did so leaning on his staff worshipping well that's too important for us to skip so we're going to go back to Esau in verse 20 and then we'll take Jacob who was also blessed in verse 21 Steve if you would read from Hebrews 11:20, 20 and then as your notes say from the 12th chapter of Hebrews also read for us if you will by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And this is one of the saddest incidents in all of Scripture, I think. A man by the name of Esau. Now, the title of our study, which you have uh, the guide for in your hand, is The Failure of Faith in Esau. I want to make it real clear that the title is not referring to the failure of faith. It's referring to the failure of a life with no faith, which is what Esau demonstrated. And so we're going to look at this man by the name of Esau. Now, he was the firstborn. Isaac's two boys, Jacob and Esau, were twins. Esau was the first one born. Jacob followed, but he was a troublemaker from the very beginning because it says in the womb, he grabbed the heel of his brother wanting out. You know, in other words, it's a, a way of saying uh, he was that kind of person of wanting to move up, move ahead, move forward. And, but Esau is first. And uh, there is a traditional uh, thing in the nation of, I mean, in the uh, time of Isaac and Jacob and Esau, that the, the uh, actual word is primogenter. Primogenter. Now, that's just a word which means firstborn. And in the tradition of the firstborn in the day of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them, was that the firstborn was the one who got the birthright and the one who got the blessing. Now, understand that God interrupts the traditions of men. Uh, he's not only doing it here because he ultimately blesses Jacob as the number one son. And, uh, but it was through deception, if you'll remember. And you remember how Jacob stole the birthright. Esau was out hunting, came in hungry. And uh, uh, Jacob had prepared a pot, of, a pot of stew, red stew, the Bible says. And uh, he said, I'll sell you a bowl of this in your hunger to satisfy your hunger if you will give me your birthright. And in the mind of Esau, the thinking evidently was, man, what's a birthright going to do me now that I'm starving to death and in need of physical food? So he agreed and he sold his birthright. Now, the blessing came later and had a little bit of a different connotation to it because it had to do with all of the history of Abraham and uh, all the lineage leading up to the person of the Messiah, but they're they're inextricably linked together. You cannot separate the two. And so what happens is we see that Jacob actually received the blessing in verse 20 as uh, above Esau, but Esau was the firstborn. as I said, God interrupts the traditions of men. He did that by the way with Abraham. Uh, you remember uh, Isaac was the firstborn, but Ishmael, I mean, Ishmael was the firstborn, but Isaac was the one who received the blessing. And Isaac was the secondborn of Abraham. You also remember that uh, here, Jacob is the secondborn, but he's given the firstborn rights in the providence of God. By the way, that was true of uh, others. Uh, For instance, Judah. Later on, we'll see receive the blessing. but he had three older brothers, but they'd all disqualified themselves for various reasons and Judah received the blessing. Even David received the blessing and he was he had seven older brothers. So what all I'm saying is God in his providence may use traditions on occasion, but he's never bound to by the traditions of men. And it was traditional that the firstborn received the birthright and the blessing. But God in his providence intended for Jacob to receive the birthright and the blessing although they were both done in a way that's not too swift. Uh, Jacob, as I told you, sold uh, he bought the birthright with a pot of stew. That's the way Esau traded it, and then Jacob fooled Isaac with the skin on his arms and the smell of animals, and because Esau was a hunter and uh, Isaac was almost blind, and so Jacob and his mother uh, had devised a scheme to fool Isaac, and fool and fooled he was because he gave the blessing to Jacob. Esau came in mad as a hornet, wanted the blessing, but he never did find it. Never did, or he received a blessing, but not the blessing. And today we're going to look at this man Esau. Now somebody obviously has the question, how could God do that? Allow a man like Jacob, as twisted as he was, his very name means twisted, How could he be used of God as the one in the lineage of the Messiah and given the birthright and the blessing instead of the firstborn? How could God do that? It was a terrible thing he did, both with the selling of the birthright or buying of it and with the spooling of the the blessing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, do I need to remind you that uh, it must be It has to be in the providence of God that he's able and even willing to ultimately use people that are flawed and mess up. Anybody here in this room not flawed and messed up? then how in the world could God choose to use you as one as a recipient of salvation and however he uses you in life? It's because God's in the business of using broken, bleeding, crippled people morally and every other way. Uh, That's obvious. That's obvious in the life of Joseph, how his brothers mistreated him, going to kill him, finally buried him, didn't leave him there. put him him in a pit, didn't bury him, but put him in a pit, then sold him into uh, uh, Egyptian slavery. And later when they were united with him, what did Joseph say to them? They were scared that he was going to get even. And he made a profound statement. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. So everything that Jacob intended to do in an evil way, God intended it for good. Okay? Now, Esau did some evil things. He sought repentance, and we're going to look at that this morning. He did receive a blessing, but he did not receive the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of the lineage that led ultimately to the Messiah. And so I've already told you the story of the bowl of red stew. Uh, Then you know the story of how Jacob stole his birthright. Now, Jacob's or Esau's lack of faith is seen, according to your notes, as you'll see there, in three ways. The first way I want to talk about is Esau's lack of faith is is seen in what he despised. Now, there's no doubt Esau was not a man of faith. In fact, he despised the spiritual and favored the sensual. Okay, you might want to write that down. He despised the spiritual and uh, he favored the sensual. Now, the spiritual was the birthright the head of the home, the responsibility of the family. The spiritual was the blessing, the ultimate lineage of Abraham being led into uh, the lineage of the Messiah. But Esau despised that. Are you following me now? He favored the sensual. In other words, what good is land and bank accounts? And even family reputation. If you starve to death. What a person really needs is to make sure that the immediate is taken care of. And so he not only uh, despised the spiritual and favored the sensual. He despised the ultimate and favored the immediate. Now get that. We're talking about Esau. He wanted what was immediately good, not what was ultimate value. He wanted that which was good in his senses, not that which was of a spiritual nature. By the way, it seems to me that what I've just described to you with this man Esau, a man without faith, is exactly what we're seeing in the moral fiber of this nation. A rejection of the spiritual to be replaced by the sensual. If you haven't seen that, check your advertisements the next time you turn your television on. And the ultimate being done away with because of a need for the immediate. Everything is instantaneous. No one is looking with anything in an ultimate way. Everybody wants it immediately. Mary read to me an article uh, that came on her Facebook or someplace from the Norman Transcript about some of the uh, homeless people who were building their little place of habitat under a bridge in the city of Norman in one of the green belts there, by the way, it's the same green belt our house backs up to, except this is a mile from us and it's under a bridge. And they were found out because of the smoke going out where they were building their fires. And of course it's against the law. And so the law has to step in because you have homeless shelters in Norman, homeless shelters. But in this article it's pointed out, the homeless shelters are never filled people are not going to homeless shelters anymore why because they have rules they have regulation you can't use drugs you can't uh, you bring in pornography stuff like that and so they want their freedom to be homeless and live without the rules they want the immediate well mary was shocked that there were a lot of people in norman who were defending that behavior, and they did it on the on the statement of, but you've got to help the people where they are. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's true. Except you never give up the immediate, taking it, allowing it to take the place of the ultimate. So you have to look at the ultimate consequences that are possible before you make any immediate decisions. Are are you following me on this? But we live in the immediacy of everything so quickly. It has to be now. We don't think of the ultimate, uh, sometimes unintended consequences. It's a thought process. And faith, now listen to me very carefully, is never without thoughtfulness. Most people believe that faith is an unthinking thing. What did you know that faith is the thinking person's way of life because you have to think through in order to rest in. You have to see ultimately, you have to see the long range. You have to see the spiritual before you're able to make good decisions about the immediate and the natural and so on. So a person of faith is not an unthinking person. In fact, some of the sharpest people I've ever met in my life, I mean in, in terms of science and education and uh, mathematics and all of the other, are people who are committed believers. You say, well, there are a lot who are not. There are a lot of everybody who's not committed to the faith of the Lord Jesus. But all I'm saying is there is clear empirical evidence that faith is really a thinking person's way of life because we put into play the ultimate rather than just the immediate and the spiritual rather than just the sensual. Would you agree with me that that's not a bad way to live? It's called the way of faith. And that was absent in the life of Esau. Now, all I'm saying today in this one point is that what I see in the moral fiber of our nation is the absence of real faith. Now, I'm not saying people don't claim to believe in God. I'm not saying they don't claim to go to church. I'm not saying that. Those are religious things. I'm talking about a real life of faith where we have the object of our faith as the revelation of who God is and what he's done in the person of Christ. And as a thinking person, I thought that through best I knew how. And as a teenager, placed my faith in the truth of that evaluation and live my life in faith, meaning. That I have to think through I have to see things are not just sensual or of the, the senses that doesn't mean sexual that means of the five senses it's not just sensual but it is also a thing of the spirit I'll get to you in just a moment uh, of the spirit but we, we, it has to be seen that the ultimate can be instead of just the immediate and I think that's so Important force to grasp, but Esau never grasped that. And, ladies and gentlemen, this nation has not grasped it either. Okay, quick question. Given the volume of homelessness these days, and the volume of those who, are because of mental illness, will not accept help and won't take it, don't you think that could speak volumes to satanic inspiration? It, it, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it I'm sure does. It does. I'm sure it does. Now, that knowing as we do that Satan inspired it does not keep us from having to legally face it as a society and deal with it socially. We have to deal with it, but there are ways of dealing with it legally that have to look at the ultimate. Okay? Now, I totally agree. I totally agree. All of it is uh, spawned by the God of this world. Yes. Yes. But we live in this natural world, and we have to abide by the laws of the natural world. We're ordered to by our king of the spiritual world. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. And by the way, Caesar is going to need to step in and take care of some of this homelessness in some manner. But it's got to have rules and regulations with it. And ladies and gentlemen, as a nation, we go... Do you understand that chaos would reign if we don't, as a nation, at least have faith in a constitution and look at the ultimate instead of the immediate and the uh, spiritual instead of the sensual, even if it's not an ultimate faith in Christ as we've come to? I would hope they would come to our gospel of the kingdom. But at least a faith in the constitutional form of government would allow us to live together without chaos. That's the whole point of natural law, which is what our constitution is based on. Natural law shows that things are in a process and have natural consequences. And so we have to live that way. But Esau missed being a man of faith totally. I'm a person who has trusted the message of Christ that was received from the inspiration of the scripture, but I've not done, done it without thinking. Faith isn't a non-thinking thing. My goodness. When you young people go to college today, they think because professors are thinking differently that, oh, I've never thought about that. And so my faith must not be real. I want to tell those kids, I want to take them and shake their shoulders and say, kids, wake up. The people who have taught you your faith have been more thinking of the ultimate and of the spiritual than of the immediate and the sensual, and there's nothing bad about that. That's good. That doesn't mean you have to swallow everything anybody to, professors or parents, but at least give it a chance that both might have some thinking going along in the process. Have I stayed long enough on this point? You can, say it's, you can see it's punched a button with me. And uh, when I studied it, I got caught up here because it does explain our national problem with, it explains our, I believe it's part of the problem with abortion. We don't think of the ultimate instead of the immediate. We don't think of the spiritual instead of just the sensual, the five senses now, not sexual, but five senses. uh, It's part of. What explains our uh, trouble with the the sexual revolution. Everybody says, well, I can choose sex. I can do sex. Uh, It's my own choice. No, ladies and gentlemen, sexual freedom uh, has an ultimate to it and a spiritual to it. And you can never come to a clear understanding of being sexually free without Thinking of the ultimate and thinking of the spiritual and making decisions based on the entire fiber of that kind of thinking. So I tell college kids all the time uh, when I get to speak to them, man, think it through. Don't just make decisions because some professor said it or I'm not saying do it because some parent says it either. I am saying do it with the ultimate in mind, the spiritual in mind as well as the sensual and the uh, immediate. Okay, we've belabored that point, so let's go to point two. And you know what that is? Point two is, at least Esau's lack of faith is seen what he desired too late. It's seen in what he desired too late. What do I mean by that? Oh, he later in life decided, I want the blessing. Now, the scripture says he sought it with tears, but found no place of repentance. Now, you have to understand what that language is saying. When it says he sought it with tears, don't ever get in your mind the idea that tears are an automatic sign of sincerity. They're not. Tears can be brought about by as twisted emotions as anything else. You can be tearful over a whole lot of things that are emotional and are not good or healthy. When it says he sought them with tears but found no repentance, it's speaking to the fact that he was remorseful for how things were, but he was not repentant. About how things are. The word repentance means a change of mind. We associate repentance basically with feeling sorry. That is not what repentance means. Repentance means thinking with your mind, the consequences and seeing that they're wrong and thinking of your decision and being sorry for that decision and wanting to make the correct decision. That's true repentance. By the way, do you see that's a thinking thing? I'm sorry. We got a couple of young uh, folks here in our group, two or three or four. I love speaking to young people. To remind them that Christianity is the thinking person's way of life. And the problem is he sought the blessing with tears, that is emotionally, but without his mind being changed. So the scripture is declaring, simply declaring that he is still more concerned with the sensual, still more concerned with the immediate than he ever has been the spiritual or the ultimate. He didn't change his mind and want the blessing of Abraham. He just now uh, felt bad that he wasn't getting what he felt he deserved. Do you notice the subtitle of my study for you there? Esau, a man uh, without faith, Uh, Esau getting what he deserved. That's exactly what this passage is teaching us. When he sought with tears but found no repentance, it's declaring that he sought it to be different because he felt bad because of the way he had wound up. And he still wasn't wanting anything to do with God, still wasn't wanting anything to do with Father Abraham and all of the uh, ascendants that would ultimately come to Messiah. He still was old Esau who thought more of eating than he did uh, spiritual things, who thought more of owning instead of uh, ultimate things. He never changed his mind. So don't get the idea that he really wanted to be right with God. And God said, no, I'm not having it. Anytime anybody ever. Now, trust me on this. Anytime anybody ever truly repents, changes their mind and rests in the truth of what God says about Christ. Anybody who repents will Be saved. Will be redeemed. Had Esau truly repented, God in his providence would have operated differently. He always operates within the parameters of spiritual reality. And repentance is a spiritual reality. Changing your mind. Esau never did. There was no repentance. And so uh, he desired too late. But he did not repent, change his mind. It's never too late for that. But he wasn't changing his mind. It says he desired without repentance. He wept without repentance, without changing his mind. Now, uh, by the way, the scripture shows uh, something that's in play here, and that is, it's a principle. You reap what you sow. And so early on in his life, Esau sowed all of this non-faith living. In his later life, he reaped a non-faith ending. There was no repentance still, though he wept bitterly. You see, the Bible in the verse that uh, Steve read a moment over from chapter 12 says uh, Esau was a profane man. Now, we think of the word profane with profanity. In other words, he's a profane man. That means he cussed a lot. No, (laughs) it's not even referring to profanity. Profane is a word which means before the temple or outside the temple, separated from the temple. It was saying there was nothing sacred to Esau. Nothing sacred sacred or spiritual to Esau. It was all only of the immediate and the sensual. He was a profane person, wouldn't step his foot across the threshold of anything that had to do, really had to do with God. He was a profane man. You know what the ultimate result of being a profane person is? Bitterness. Bitterness. In other words, they get locked into a man like Esau, a person like Esau. I'm not saying every single person who ever lived. I'm saying Esau, people like him get locked into a rejection of what's real without a thinking process going on. And they get bitter at everybody and everything that happens. Now, somebody's going to say, but Brother Paul in verse 20, it says, Isaac blessed Esau. That's true. But it's a blessing, not the blessing. There's a difference. A blessing came where Isaac, he's a father. He loves his firstborn, Esau. He blesses him, and God honors that. He said, you will have a great nation. By the way, you do know the Jacob's name, uh, meaning twisted one, We'll see next week he had a name change, and I'll show it what it is. But do you know he had 12 sons, each of them becoming a leader of one of the 12 tribes? That means, of course, his name was changed to Israel later. Uh, Well, you might be surprised to find out that Esau also had 12 sons, but from them descended. And this is the third thing that I want to mention. Esau's lack of faith is seen in what was displayed in his legacy. He had a great nation as a seed. Esau did. Twelve tribes. Mean as the Dickens. Vicious nation, people. They were called the Edomites. They lived in the valley area of what we would call uh, just north and, and east of Israel today, uh, that land in there. Uh, and uh, by the way, one of the most famous of all the Edomites was Herod, because they did get kind of united with Israel for a while. Herod was made a king, and, but he was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau and is the one who issued the death uh, notice for those who were born under three years of age. So Esau got a blessing, but it was reaping what he sowed. The seed had been sown and uh, he got a blessing nationally and even personally, but it was never eternally, why? Because eternal matters are ultimate. It was never Messiah, Messianic. Why? Because the Messianic is a spiritual kingdom. And he never wanted and never received anything of the ultimate or of the spiritual. Now, all I'm doing this morning is walking you through a little bit of the life of one who had no faith. Now, the rest of the time, we're going to be dealing with people who were people of faith. This is the only exception in all of Hebrews 11 that deals with people who had no faith. So I didn't think we could just act as if it didn't exist because it's in the scripture. And there are people who choose to live without faith. They choose to die without faith. And uh, their life will be the end result of people with no faith. And uh, that's what Esau is a picture of. Now is when I'd like to get into a series on what is the ultimate of a person of faith. Well, we call it uh, eternal life. What is the ultimate of a person with non-faith? We call it eternal death. Well, what does it mean eternal life? What does it mean eternal death? Is there fire? Is there furniture? And so on and so forth. That's a whole different series of studies we'll do later. But I can just tell you this. The end result is never good when you live a life without faith. Folks, be a thinking person. Think things through. Look to see. Make decisions based on that thinking process. And I believe uh, we will be honoring the truth of the revelation of Hebrews 11, who's magnifying people of faith, but who is honestly testifying to the life of one who had no faith. Now, next week, we're going to look at a man named Jacob. And he died leaning on his staff. He died worshiping. And I'm going to talk about an old man leaning on his staff. Now, Lee, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. An old man getting ready to lean on his staff, worshiping as he dies. How does that happen? And then the next one, we're going to see Joseph and uh we're going to go all the way through to Barak and David and Rahab the harlot and all of these people mentioned in Hebrews 11. And ladies and gentlemen, I cannot tell you how much I enjoy talking to you. You get me so involved. It's hard for me to even, but I finished three minutes early. <laughs> if there's any question, Well, now's the time for it. Any comment or any question? Because I'm going to keep every minute Steve said I could have. All right? Any question, any comment? I appreciate all of you coming. I appreciate the younger ones being here. Not that the older ones. I'm part of the peer class, okay? But I'm always excited when younger folks are here. And I hope that something is said that will be of benefit, okay? All right, anybody got a word? Then here's our benediction. Hug five necks, shake five hands, and get out of here. And if you don't, you lose your salvation. (laughs) See you next Sunday.